Art is more than just a composition of beautiful colors and carefully placed brushstrokes. When we can think about it more expansively, that is. Welcome to the Art of Podcast, a show that unveils the masterpiece resulting from you taking your healing into your own hands. I'm your host, Leah Fisher, a trauma survivor turned multi-awarded reflectionist artist with a master's degree in counseling. My highest intention is to create a community for self-healers. Together, we'll unlock your own creative capacity to design a life of holistic wellness and embrace the healing journey, one step at a time. This is a Soulfire Productions podcast. You're listening to The Art of Podcast, and this is episode number six. So I am so excited today to have Sean Mondragon. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. That was wonderful. (laughs) It's such a beautiful last name. I I want to know the history of that as soon as I introduced you. (laughs) But he is a sound practitioner at Breathe Meditation and Wellness. If you listened to my show last week, I was speaking with Chelsea Charbonneau and they work together. They do meditation teacher training together. And I am so blessed and lucky to be able to attend Sean's classes on Monday nights when he places beautiful, magical sound bowls that, I mean, when my friends and I talk about it, it's just transformational. It's, um, it's so healing and it's just magical. So welcome to the show, Sean. (laughs) Thank you, Leah. I really appreciate that warm welcome. It's wonderful to be here with you. Yeah, of course. So Let's see, you do the sound practitioner sound bowls at Breathe, and you are also getting your master's in counseling right now. How far are you along in that? I'm right at the very end. I'm just in the last chapter of wrapping up my master's thesis. Once that's all completed and approved, then I will be good to go. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's great. And so you are, um, so your focus is depth psychology. Is that correct? That's right. My degree is a master's in counseling with a focus on depth psychology. What is that? I I don't, I don't know. I have a master's in counseling too, but it was a lot of years ago Mm. and that wasn't an option for us. So tell me about that. Absolutely. A very reasonable question. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I went to the school that I went to Pacifica in the West coast, that they did have this emphasis on depth psychology. That was something that really appealed to me. And depth psychology is this avenue of psychology that really looks at what the underlying motivations are within our behavior that are really part of the unconscious. The depth psychological perspective is really attuned to and focused towards looking at the unconscious and attempting to reconcile with and understand some of the different mechanisms and ways that we both place things away and sever them from our conscious mind into the unconscious, but then also the healing process that takes place in reconciling with those aspects, bringing them back up, understanding them, bringing them into consciousness so that we are no longer prompted and responding to all these unknown forces within us. Instead, we know where our responses are being triggered from, and we can have a greater sense of agency of how to respond to different things. That's really interesting because correct me if I'm wrong, is it that 95% of, of our consciousness is actually the, the subconscious and 5% is really working from the prefrontal cortex or there's a lot of ways of looking at it. Absolutely. In every depiction I've ever seen of any construction of the our, iceberg, right? <laughs> the iceberg, <laughs> there is so much more of a wealth of unconscious action going on within our minds than there is in the conscious space of our mind. Yeah. And you can really look at that on even a scientific level, looking at all the brain activity that occurs throughout the brain in my 
my undergraduate, I actually studied cognitive psychology and in, in particular within the visual system. And so one of the things that stood out so immensely to me whenever studying perception and how the brain actually figures out all the things around us in our environment and within us was just how much processing occurs on an unconscious level. There is so much happening in the brain and around our experience that we're not aware of directly, but we get these sensations, these feelings, these affects that start to come up that allow us to start to communicate a little bit of that richness of the experience within. Mm. And also tell me if this is right. Most of that that gets that's in the subconscious is programmed within us like zero to seven. Is that about right? The age is zero to seven? So there's a very big theory that I'm a very big proponent of learning with and exercising with, which is attachment theory. Mm -hmm. And really the proponents of attachment theory uh, say that our attachment system, the way that we go about attaching to and relating to the world around us, as well as the world within us, is something that is really imprinted on us within the first 20, 12 to 24 months of our lives. Oh, 12 to 24 mm -hmm. months. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds incredible. And are you going to go into private practice when you graduate? Is that your plan? I will. Once I go ahead and get through graduation, I'll be applying for my licensure and start going into private practice as well as hopefully moving into a uh, doctoral program. You are brave. <laughs> Those doctoral programs are no walk in the park. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. But, you know, the biggest motivator that I've really encountered for myself in life is being able to explore the mind yeah. and being able to really explore what it is to be a conscious human being, how we can reconcile with all the different things that come up along life, and then also how that ends up turning into the way that we can communicate something deeper and something more to the the whole world around us. Well, I feel like you really embody that theory and your course of study is of no surprise to me because you've certainly given us all that experience at Breathe when you do your sound bowl meditations. And I I know we were talking about it before, but the, the all the practitioners are, are wonderful. But Sean is a little, his experience is different because he takes you on a journey not only with the bowls, but with his voice when he's starting out the practice. And I know it's hard to explain, but he, it almost seems like he's just sitting there talking to you, but really he's lulling you into this, this state of like, <laughs> <laughs> I am, you know, I feel like it's the, the alpha state. You're just <laughs> bringing us there. Is that, is that is that what you're doing? Well, you know, I'm glad you you kind of recognize that there's something happening there. Yes. And... Oh, it's so powerful. Oh, my gosh. I love it so much. And there is something unique that I like to bring into the beginning of my meditations. And it's something that I've started to become known for, which is that I tend to tell a lot of stories. Mm. And there is a reason for that. And that is that stories are a deeply integral part of how we learn, how we experience, and how we start to open up the mind. So I'm really glad you asked me that. Um, there is something very unique that I do at the beginning of my meditations, and it's very intentional as well. And it's something I've become a little bit known for, which is that I have a tendency to tell a lot of stories. And there is a very intentional reason for that. Um, and it goes to our psychology. 
that when we tell stories, stories are something that starts to bring the whole mind forward. It's something where we start to describe a setting, characters, different interactions that may be going on, but there's more to it than just the logic and the data of who all's there and what all's happening. There is a felt experience that starts to happen as well. And one of my favorite writers uh, is Joseph Campbell. Oh, I love him. He is absolutely wonderful. I wish to introduce him more and more to as many people as possible. So, I don't want to get too off track, but <laughs> Joseph Campbell, like if there's one book or that you, they need to read, what is it? The Hero's Journey. Okay. It is, I would say, one of the most wonderful works in terms of truly understanding the meaning behind story and psyche. And what... Joseph Campbell really talks about in a lot of his writings, he's a mythologist that studied mythology from all over the world. And what he started to kind of distill from all of this was this theory, this idea of the hero's journey. And it was covered of this underlying mechanism behind any heroic journey of any kind, that it starts off in a place of a certain status quo, a standard of being, that then a hero of some kind is called to some state of change something is calling them and often there's a rejection of this call but then which is kind of something we all go through right exactly. every person yeah. essentially what this starts to distill to and carl jung starts to really talk about this as well that this process of the hero's journey is very much the same as our process of individuation as an individual and um, edward edinger has a wonderful book ego and archetype that starts to really dive into that even more and it really describes this whole process of being called to discovery, being called to adventure, going through this process of delving into a world of the unknown, crossing thresholds of guardians, meeting mentors and allies, finding a way through a road of trials into an utter abyss where someone may be completely destroyed, but then to only be reborn with new power, new discovery that then becomes reconciled into a new status quo, a greater way of being. And the hero returns to the greater kingdom and brings happiness ever after but it is this journey of psychological growth essentially that we go through time and again this process of finding wounds feeling alienated but then rediscovering connection and through which that journey brings us into a greater state of wholeness and so by following that pathway, by invoking that journey, especially at the beginning of my meditations, I'm somewhat inviting everyone that's present to explore their own story, see where they are along that journey, and start to take that up once again while reconciling with and being present with the unconscious as we go through our meditation. Wow. I had no idea that that was what you were doing, but <laughs> I've experienced it several times and that feels very true. I mean, and when I come in there, I'm always a little ramped up and I get a little fearful of being with myself in my own mm. head. I'm a little bit anxious. And so I lay down, but you're, it's like your, your voice kind of carries us. Okay. We're going on this journey now and it's going to be safe and it's going to be okay. And there is this peak experience and then it is a journey within a class. Mm -hmm. Is that also very intentional? Absolutely. That like I'm talking about with the journey that goes on with that hero's journey, with that road of trials and that journey that we go on through psychological growth in order to really introduce ourselves to that, it's very natural for us to experience a little bit of fear on that 
there, mm-hmm. when we are encountering the unconscious, it is a massive and depthful world filled with so much that it can feel so overwhelming. But when we can approach it with a sense of trust, and when we can approach it with a sense of relaxation and openness and a willingness to journey while knowing that we are safe and that we are witnessed in our experience in a way that can support our well-being, it makes things approachable and it allows us to go into that wilderness of the unconscious and discover the true treasures that are there for us. Oh, I absolutely love it. <laughs> okay. So for my listeners who might not know much about sound bowl meditation or have never been there, how do you describe it to someone? Oh, wonderful question. So sound meditation is something that I actually discovered while learning about a number of different styles of meditation. It wasn't something I was deeply familiar with at first when I was a meditator. And then going through my training program, I was introduced to these singing bowls. And I remember the first time I started playing with them it evokes such a sense of play within me. Uh, there are these, you often see in some uh, meditation classes, the uh, crystal bowls that are present. I use a lot of metal bowls. These are part of what are called the uh, Tibetan singing bowls or Himalayan singing bowls. They come from a tradition out of uh, Northern India and the Himalayas, these bronze bowls. And I really love the bronze bowls, especially <laughs> they're part of a... Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you about the bronze, the, the history of that. So you just wait, because I'm going to ask you. Will do. <laughs> I'm it's obsessed a history. with It's a history that goes back thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And really, when we look at sound as a spiritual practice, that's something that's been with humanity for thousands and thousands of years. There are things called rock gongs that can be found on just about every continent that were used for ceremonial practice, where people would tap on these rocks in different spots, creating these notes, and there would be these ceremonial marchings and chantings that would happen. And so sound has always been a very integral part of how we experience spirituality and how we experience connection. And it's one of the unique aspects of sound that when we hear something, we are somewhat unconsciously triggered to recognize that we are connected to something else. Because sound is an energy that requires a medium in order to move from one to another. If there was not something between us, if there was not air between us to channel that energy, you wouldn't hear a thing. And so when we hear... So indeed, if the, <laughs> if the tree fell in the forest, no one would hear it? What is that? <laughs> well, that becomes a very interesting question as well, because there are some that would say that it both does and it does not. Okay. Uh, until consciousness is placed upon something. Right. Um, the actual interaction of what happens is simply in this world of possibility. Right. Right. Okay. So people come to your class, they lie down... They listen to the bowls for approximately 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know I, I know what it feels like to me, but can you explain what it actually physically does to heal? Absolutely. So there are a number of different things that start to go on with sound whenever we're in that meditative practice. One, there are different frequencies that are said to have certain associations with everything from our subtle body energy system, our system of chakras, to the actual way that we process sound. It's very interesting that when we hear, we hear in one ear and we process that sound information in the opposite side of the brain, the opposite auditory cortex. So I hear sound from my right ear and it gets processed in my left auditory cortex, hear from the left ear, processed in the right auditory cortex. But then there's also sharing that happens between both of those sides. They check in with each other, so to speak. 
And one of the most significant things that happens due to stress or trauma is that the brain starts to kind of split off, especially the right side, that right side, which has much more of a uh, significant work with possibilities and potentials and creativity and the right side which sees one thing as all of its many parts and all the unique possibilities that could be a part of that and could tell this whole elaborate rich story but then there's the left brain which is a lot more logical a lot more structural and if we are wandering in a forest and we become face to face with a wolf well it's kind of important to quiet down that right side that wants to see everything and all this beautiful majesty and the possibilities we don't want to be thinking about all the possibilities of what it could be like to be with this wolf we need to get safe mm. and so the right brain shuts down the left brain says i need to survive and i need to create a structure to survive and so one of the things that we get most impacted by from stress and from trauma is this splitting and shutting down of that right side of the brain oh so it so i mean literally it shuts down your creativity essentially yes it takes away the access that we have to that creative potential from the right mm. and so when we start to listen to sound especially when we start to listen to rhythm in particular a very consistent and calming rhythm it's something that starts to reintegrate the brain it starts to stimulate both of these auditory cortexes that are also cross-communicating and it stimulates that cross-communication in the brain and so it starts inviting that right side to come back into play to come back into being welcome into the whole of how we're integrating our experience and that's when we start to truly unlock creativity that's when we start to truly unlock the whole of our experience instead of just being in a survival state and there was a wonderful article on psychology today about sound and the use of sound as a calming relaxing methodology for allowing someone to feel healing that process because essentially in order for us to heal we have to relax the tensions that the defensive system is putting up that defensive system has to be quiet it has to find its relaxation in order for us to be able to re-engage with the world and experience new things without that with too much tension present with too much stress the brain thinks that it's still in whatever stressful concerning frightening self-destructive sort of situation may have been present and it cannot be open to new experience until we are able to realize that we are not in that survival state that we do not need to be defending ourselves but we can actually continue to explore the world because we are safe mm. It's almost like it doesn't take a lot of effort to, you just have to go there and you sit there and you just receive, which I really like that because sometimes meditation can be a little intimidating because you feel like you're supposed to be controlling your head and in your thoughts and in sound, you can lay there. And even if you're thinking you're still getting the healing, even if you fall asleep, you're still getting the healing. It's, there's this actual physical, the waves going into your ears are affecting your cells, right? Mm -hmm. Our whole nervous system is responding yeah. to these frequencies that are coming through. The nervous system responds to everything that's going on. And we have these two distinct pathways in our nervous system. We've got the sympathetic pathway and the parasympathetic pathway. And these are two different ways that our body is using energy. And what happens with our sympathetic nervous system is that's the side that gets triggered when stress comes up. And what occurs there is the body starts to shift energy away from the healing processes that are internal and starts to shift 
energy away from our digestive system and it starts to shift all that energy into our muscles to be ready to react to be able to fight flight or freeze and so that energy that would otherwise be going to the actual healing process the actual digestive process of taking in nourishment from our uh, from our food into our bodies all that start energy starts to move into a way of trying to react to the world and what happens when we start to relax is that paras or that sympathetic nervous system calms down and that sh energy shifts back over to the parasympathetic system which starts to heal again starts to return energy to the digestive system starts to return all this energy to those internal processes of ourselves of the nervous system and of the body and mind instead of having to react to the outer world in order to keep itself safe and so when we can sh make that shift and that shift happens through relaxation this is one reason why i like to tell people a lot of times that relaxation isn't just something that we do it is a capacity that we have to be able to be greeted by all sorts of things from the outer world that stir our emotions that stir our stress but then relaxation is our capacity to greet that tension and allow it to ease away and return ourselves to the whole of our experience instead of just being stuck in a survival experience. Mm. That sounds so important. I mean, it almost seems like this like theoretical non-pharmaceutical magic pill because I mean, the way that I'm understanding it is that this would help with anxiety and depression, also restoring your creative energy which gives you more power in producing the things that you want in your life. It goes a long way I mean, in opening powerful. up. Absolutely. It is one of, I would say, one of the most powerful things for opening up the doorway to healing. Mm. Because first we have to be able to really greet the experience with trust where we can say, okay, you know what? I'm going to experience this and I'm really going to be open to it. I'm not going to bring in a expectation of what I desire to come out from it. I'm not going to be trying to protect myself from anything. They're sound waves. They can't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> it's very simple. And so it's very approachable and it makes it easy for us to be able to connect with the practice to become present with the moment and when we become present we start to lead in with the breath we start to experience what it is to be in the now instead of concerned about what's coming up in the future or worried and fearsome over things that have happened in the past instead when we listen to these waves as they're consistently and rhythmically coming through it allows us to dive deeper into our experience within the moment and there's no nothing more powerful than being truly present and fully present within the moment. Mm, I absolutely love it. And of course, you know, for those of you that are in Dallas, this is your every Monday night. Do you have another at eight o'clock? Every Monday, eight o'clock at Breathe. That's and do you right. do any other days too? I work privately on a handful of other days. I've worked occasionally with uh, the Texas Institute of Professional Psychology, offering a few classes there here and there. Okay. I'll probably pick that up once uh, once the sun starts to stay up a little bit later in yeah. the evening, later this summer. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so Monday nights at Breathe meditation you mm -hmm. can check that out mm -hmm. um i guess i want to ask you okay so we i like to talk about creative energy mm -hmm. on this podcast and you know this was like a very beautiful surprise i didn't realize that that is exactly what it was doing in the brain like really unleashing that creative energy or restoring it maybe mm -hmm. is a better word so i know it's important to you how does creative energy work in your life i think that a lot of times people think 
I'm not creative. I don't have creative energy because you can't draw or sing a song or something like that. But you're not really involved in the visual arts very much, are you? Um, not so much anymore. I did a lot of acting and things like oh, that yeah. when I was younger. I had yeah. a lot of fun doing all of that. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> yeah. More so now, my creativity tends to be very focused in the area of consciousness mm. and in the area of story. Explain that. Like <laughs> the, area, the area of consciousness and creativity. Tell me more. So for me, my biggest question and most inspiring uh, pathway to exploration is how is it that we have this immense wealth of information going on in our brain and how can we have access to some of it? There's so much that's being told. There's so much that's being felt from this, this world of intuition that starts to come up from this whole realm of the unconscious within us. How do we start to pick up on all these little notes that it has to offer? Because it is within the realm of the unconscious. This is something that depth psychology helps us to see. It is within the realm of the unconscious where all of that inspiration for creativity really comes from. We get greeted by something which evokes our curiosity, makes us say, ooh, there's something over there that I don't quite understand, but I want to get to know this a little bit more. I want to explore this. I want to find out where it came from, what it does, understand my relationship to this unknown thing. And then that in and of itself is this exercise of just revitalization and exploring what is new, what is undiscovered, and finding then a way to bring that to others, to mm -hmm. bring that inspiration out and to share that creative encounter with this grand world of the unconscious. Yeah. And you told me before when we were talking offline that you thought the biggest block to creativity and to curiosity was shame. It is what shame is one of the most corrosive things that we encounter in life. Mm -hmm. Shame and fear. And really, I may put it better as saying there are two big forces that we encounter in our psyche. And that is the force of disconnection or separation and the force of connection or unity. And these are very much embodied in these forces of shame and curiosity. Shame is this pressure, fear as well, this pressure which pushes things apart and causes that separation or that division. Whereas curiosity is this force, this vacuum which pulls things together that says, hey, there's an unknown over there and I'm not going to push it away. I'm going to get to know it a little bit and then figure out where it lays within this, within this entire landscape of existence. And creativity comes so much more from when we are able to engage with curiosity. Curiosity is that force which leads us to connection. It's part of what supports love. Love is that depth of whole connection that comes forward, but it can only come forward when we allow that curiosity to be present to see another or an opposite or something beyond ourselves as something worth examining and something where we can feel a sense of connection to it and realize that it's a part of our world, we're a part of its world, and there's something shared here. There is a collective experience between us. And then our greatest challenge beyond that where creativity comes is how do we then communicate that? Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love this. Okay. So <laughs> another question. So, I mean, I experience and I believe from what I've studied is that the emotions are, are chemicals and they live in our body. That's energy, chemical energy that lives in our body. And if we are really in shame, then if you go to sound meditation, it might be possible that it will actually change the chemical makeup in your body, being able to, if you're if your brain hemispheres are communicating well, 
and you're relaxed that you might able to be able to move out of shame into curiosity a little more easily? Absolutely. So there are a few things that really kind of underlie that. And for one, it goes back to relaxation, being in that place where we are stuck from being into shame and into these depressive moments of just being on that low vibration of existing where we are feeling alienated and we are feeling separated and we are just pushing everything else away. We look at something and we don't look at it as something to connect with. We look at it as something which may be threatening or maybe discomforting in some way. And what sound meditation really allows us to do, it allows us to relax those tensions that come up. And so instead of greeting things with tension and walls that prevent us from experiencing something new, we greet it with a freshness, an openness, and with a lack of judgment that seeks to make all those divisions. Instead, we can approach things with the acceptance of they are what they are, and I can see things in their place, and I do not feel threatened by the existences around me. Instead, I can see that I am connected to all kinds of things, good, bad, and indifferent, but all in their own ways that can remain in their places appropriately. I am more than one experience. And as we're going through our sound meditation, the body is responding. When we are in that state of tension, it is releasing all the hormones that keep us in that state of tension and mm -hmm. respond to that state of tension. This is that same um, distinction between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems that when we start to be inundated with that sympathetic nervous system, our body is releasing all these hormones that are supporting that and keeping us in there. But when we can greet relaxation and shift that energy over to the parasympathetic system, now all the calming, relaxing, easy neurotransmitters and hormones start to get released and we are able to be greeted by calm. Mm, that is so powerful. I mean, because listen, if you're going to take a Xanax or a drink or <laughs> smoke some weed or whatever, that is so temporary. And I feel like this is an actual biochemical hard change in your body. And I'm sure over time, this accumulates in your life looks very different after participating in this practice a while. Have you seen a lot of lives changed for the better? Oh, absolutely. Definitely changed my life, for <laughs> sure. That's actually one of the reasons why I started to integrate meditation into therapeutic practice so much more was I had been working with a handful of different people through my practicum and a few of them, we started to get some really good stability built up. And once we started to build stability, I would introduce meditation. And it was incredible. It was the biggest shift I would see in people when we would introduce a meditative practice that it started to change the way they interacted with their inner world. It went from this place where the inner world was this terrifying land and something that they really had to protect themselves from and keep in the unconscious to where all of a sudden now when we introduce meditation with different practices, different styles, we start to become more familiar with interacting with that unknown world and it becomes safer to explore and it becomes this landscape where we now have a way of encountering the unconscious that is not inundating, is not overwhelming, but is part of the journey, the hero's journey that we can then start to interact with and explore. Oh, well, it sounds like you're just changing people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. And bringing more greater consciousness to the world every step of the way. I absolutely love it. I, I mean, 
I see, uh, I see you really making a big impact for people. I know we all really love you in class mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I might have to come sign up for, to be your therapy because <laughs> that sounds amazing. So you are just finished, finishing up your master's, but you are seeing clients right now through the counseling office. Richland Oaks Counseling Center is, an, okay. is a counseling center I've worked with ever since my practicum. And right now, while I'm in between being able to do my practicum work and being able to move into licensure, then uh, right now I'm still performing a little bit of an adjunct service for some of the other therapists where I kind of tag team with some of their clients where I will work doing meditation practices with them, which are really focused primarily on things like being able to help ease a little bit of that tension that comes from everything from anxiety to depression. And like I said before, being able to open up that pathway to healing as we introduce these meditative practices, they one start to practice what it is to engage with their attention. So there are certain meditative practices that really focus on harnessing our uh, capacity for using attention and attention is this really interesting thing where so like ADD <laughs> ADD patients or what do you think what do you like what well, it really reaches further than that because attention is this really interesting thing it is this resource that we have that can be placed on all kinds of different things in our environment or within ourselves and what we attend to is what our brain our conscious brain is starting to interact with and start to create all these memories for But part of what happens as we go along through life, if we have all kinds of tensions that start to spring up, our attention starts to also monitor and take care of a lot of those things. And we start to have less and less of a resource of attention to place onto the present moment. Mm -hmm. And so especially whenever we are concerned about things coming up in the future or fearful about all the certain different things from the past, our attention is being placed on these things. And we are losing a little bit of the capacity that we have to use that energy for creativity, for engaging with the world that is present around us. And so when we go into some of these meditation practices, what we're essentially starting to teach people is how to bring their mind back to the moment instead of being distracted by whatever their fears, concerns, or unconscious traumas are that are popping up, they can notice their mind start to wander and they start to bring it back to the moment. And so it's kind of like every single time that happens, it's almost like doing a repetition at the gym. (laughs) You're lifting the weight one more time and getting a little bit stronger at being able to have agency over that capacity for attention and placing it intentionally on what's present in the moment. Mm, I think you hit the nail on the head because I think when I'm talking to people that I know and they want to meditate, but they're always like, but I can't stop my thoughts. So I can't meditate. And I always say, well, that's, that's what you're doing. It's a practice. You're practicing being in the present moment. And that's very normal to kind of get lost in your thoughts a little bit, but you teach people to be gentle with themselves and bring them back. Absolutely. Being able to witness that the mind is wandering is an important thing that happens. Yeah. And yes, there are all kinds of things happening in the mind. And essentially what we start to practice is we start to cultivate the witnessing awareness, this level of awareness that can see that thought is happening, that can feel and encounter how the mind is starting to move in all these directions and experiencing. And the witnessing awareness is kind of this 
overarching overhead view of what all is happening there and when we can start to get into that place that is the place where we start to encounter intuition because we start to see and experience the language of the unconscious this symbolic language which speaks in all these unique mm. ways but if we're distracted by one individual thought here or there then we start to lose the greater perspective that's coming through really powerful work that is that is great. I mean, I'm it's bending my mind a little <laughs> bit because, <laughs> because I feel like if you really can have some understanding around this, you're just kind of teaching people how to have a superpower. Absolutely. I mean, you have, I mean, you are no longer responding to your life. You're really participating in creating. Exactly. And that is what is so inspirational to me about exploring the conscious mind. That's why I got into really going down this pathway because it is something that is so powerful. It is our superpower as human beings. I love this. I love this. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, I will definitely link in my show notes how you can be in touch with Sean. He's always there on Monday nights at Breathe Meditation and Wellness in Dallas. One last question I want to ask you. I, I am the healing curator. So, um, maybe two resources, like it does, it can be whatever books it can be, mm -hmm. it can be fiction, nonfiction, but just kind of talking about creative energy or the work that you're doing, what would you have everyone read well, or, uh, or do it can be, mm -hmm. it can be anything. It doesn't have to be a book. It can be a TV show, song, whatever. Mm. Well, you know, the number one thing that I would invite people to do is really focus on and discover what makes you curious. Because whenever you engage with curiosity, that is what connects us to something beyond ourselves, something beyond the status quo of where we are. Mm -hmm. And every time we can connect to something new, we start to engage with deeper aspects of life. And when we start to feel that connection, it's part of what really supports what it is to experience a deeper world, a more profound world, and it gives all that inspiration to our creativity. So the number one thing I would invite people to do in whatever way it takes shape for them is explore your curiosity. Any books about that <laughs> or any, any podcasts or it, anything like that that it, you like? You know, in terms of books, uh, I'll give, go ahead and toss out a few of them. Okay. Uh, so one of one, I think we mentioned earlier, The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. It's a wonderful way of starting to connect to story and how story is represented within inside of us and in a collective aspect of our culture. And then Ego and Archetype is one of my favorite books uh, written by Edward Edinger. And it is a wonderful distillation of Carl Jung's work that looks at our process of becoming more whole and our process of really growing as a psychic, uh, as an entity on mm -hmm. this world, as a conscious being. And then the third book that I really would love to recommend to anyone who is really seeking to reconcile with a lot of that challenge that comes up in life, and especially to really have a greater understanding of the nature of suffering and how to heal is a book by Donald Cowshed called Trauma and the Soul. Mm. And it is one of the more incredibly profound readings that I've seen on part of what happens when trauma really comes up in life, how those ruptures affect our psychic world, and how we start to heal in the journey of coming back together and finding our way out of states of depression and suffering and into a world of new possibility. 
Mm, that sounds great. I can't wait to read that. Yeah. I haven't even heard of it. Oh, it's so wonderful. I love that. Okay. <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah. It's been a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah. And I will see you tonight at Breathe Meditation. <laughs> <laughs> sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this conversation with Sean. I know that you loved it as much as I did. Um, I always appreciate you being here and listening. If you would, if you could rate me five stars and maybe leave me a comment, that means so much to the podcast because that is the way we are distributed and how you listen to us. Also, you can always find me on Instagram at Leah Fisher Art, and I have a brand new newsletter and you can sign up for it and the podcast will land in your inbox immediately on Mondays when it comes out. Also, if you are really into something right now that's a healing modality, whether it's a, a book or a physical program or I don't know, another podcast, send me a message and let me know because I... I'm your healing curator, and I want to share this with everyone. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I will talk to you next week. 